Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Peter Bodeway. Peter manages strategy and partnerships for an innovative alliance of energy companies committed to reducing environmental impacts through collaborative R&D efforts. Peter worked for more than 20 years in Asia, building and investing in a variety of businesses. His most recent role outside of Canada was with the World Wildlife Fund, where he was the chief executive officer of WWF China, based in Beijing. Prior to that, Peter lived in Hong Kong for 15 years working in the technology industry. Let's join Peter as he learns about the Homes for Heroes Foundation with David Howard. Peter, the mic is yours. Thanks, Al. Hi, my name's Peter Bodway, and I'll be your host of today's Rainforest podcast. Today's guest is David Howard. He's the founder of the Homes for Heroes Foundation, a Calgary-based nonprofit focused on ending veteran homelessness. So firstly, David, welcome to the show. Wow, thanks. It's great to be here. Certainly an honor, and I appreciate your interest. So let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about the Homes for Heroes Foundation and how you address veteran homelessness? Yeah, you know, look, I've been involved in supporting our vets for 25 plus years, and what we saw is that the numbers are increasing dramatically, and so we needed to come up with a solution. So, you know, I went and met with veterans across the Alberta, actually, 200 plus with a researcher. And that's truly how the program was developed. So we build tiny home communities with wraparound social support services. So what that means is that uh, they are tiny homes. So they're 300 square feet. They're all kind of based in a barrack style format, inward facing. And then we have two on-site social workers. So veterans are come into the program. There's a needs analysis that's done, an understanding of, of the reasons that got them to the streets. And then they work that program with their social worker. And the whole idea is that they're graduating from the program into permanent housing, into full-time work. So it's important to note, like, our veterans that are on the street, first off, a lot of them majority won't use food banks, won't use shelters. They're proud. And having something that is just for veteran is, veterans is working. So we have villages in Calgary, Edmonton, almost completed our Kingston and about to turn some soil in Winnipeg. Well, let's explore that a bit and, and the growth, because as you said, you have communities, Calgary, Edmonton completed, a couple more on the go. Yeah. How do you see the foundation developing beyond those cities over the next few years? Well, I mean, truly, the goal here is to end the issue of veteran homelessness. And I actually think we have the opportunity to do it. I think we can do it. The The concept is to grow across Canada, looking at 10 to 12 veteran villages in major centers where, so it's important, I guess, supposed to know where we build is we're building in major centers where there's a large percentage of veterans, veterans you know, that are unhoused. At the same time, it's important that we are a partner now, and we have a great partnership with VAC, so with Veterans Affairs, sorry. And Veterans Affairs offers probably 97% or 95% at least of the programs that our veterans are using. So I know Veterans Affairs get a, gets a, 
a bit of a poke in the media a lot. But the fact is, is they do have incredible programming. We're finding is more so the veterans accessing that programming and unable to. So we are that bridge and we bring them in. So we need to make sure on our growth that the services are in that community through Veterans Affairs. And that could be for post-traumatic stress or education, retraining, whatever the case may be. So I think we're dealing with about 10,000 plus veterans that are on the streets and it's 10,000 10, too many. Yeah. So when you say 10 to 12 villages, you're on, you know, you're on your fourth now going from 10 to 12. I understand you've had some recent changes in the organization as you look to restructure to grow. What does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, I, as I said, you know, as you noted, I founded the organization. I own a number of businesses. I'm an entrepreneur and I believe that's been part of the success is looking at it at a different lens. And also at the same time, as we've reached into this fifth year, you know, I've really understood that um, for us to succeed and grow, we need new leadership. And just as the, you know, within the military, it's the best man for the job. I think I've peaked in regards to the growth and the management of the charity. What we are in the business of saving lives and we're a social organization. So I will be moving now to focus more on the growth and working with stakeholders to grow. And we've brought in Brad Field and Brad Field is uh, the new president and CEO. And I'm, you know, he's, he's been here a short while, but he's, he's, he's doing some great work. He has a good concept of what he wants to do and the plan and structure procedures and more of that needs to be put in place. So I'm thrilled to have him on side. That's great. Key in all this, you sort of mentioned that you're working very closely with Veterans Affairs Canada. And I noticed that when you had the first village, ATCO was your corporate sponsor. And, and obviously doing this, you need a number of, of, I guess, partnerships across the board. Can you just tell us a little bit about what does that partnership model look like for you? You know, when I first went into this, I didn't realize how much we needed, but we had, I believe you know, we have federal, provincial, municipal support in every village. If we do not have that support, we will not build there. And I'm going to be maybe a little tough here, but the fact is we're coming in here into a city and saving an issue that's costing them millions a year. And as part of that, I believe that every level of government owes it to our veterans to get involved. I mean, back in the 90s, the federal government, you know, moved the issue of homelessness down to the provincial level. And now the province is trying to push it to the municipal level in some states. Provincial fairness, the municipalities probably get the less amount, least amount of tax dollars. And suddenly they're the ones having to deal with it all. So that partnership is very important to us. And then the next step is, so we have a partnership with CMHC. They're, they help us with all our builds on a grant basis. Veterans Affairs, the provinces are always involved, whether that's donating of land or financially. And then the city, it could be donation of land or it could be in regards to financial or building infrastructure or updating utilities, that sort of thing. There's that piece. The next piece is the corporate partnerships. So uh, we build quite quickly. We have great corporate partners. We recognize them very well. And so we have teams like CPKC, ACO obviously has been a great partner. The Brick, amazing partner to us. So when we build, we spend locally. So 
We have corporate partners that come in financially, and then we have individuals and other individuals and social groups that also support us financially. So you bring all that together. What you find is you find that these villages are owned by the community. These aren't homes for heroes. This is the city of Calgary's veterans village. These are Calgarians and companies that appreciate and love those that have stood on guard for us and are showing and their respect and support of this. And what could be better than that? I mean, we have, uh, we, every city we build, we, we bring together a local steering committee of stakeholders in that community, business leaders, philanthropists, social groups that uh, they help us uh, integrate our plan into that community. So it is unique to that community. So look, it takes what do they say? I mean, they always say it, it takes a village and it takes a village to build our villages. And Canadians have shown their deep respect and admiration for those that have served. And I couldn't be happier for that. That's interesting. You know, again, obviously it's a unique model, it but is. it's interesting because everybody from the federal to the provincial to the city, and now, as you said, some of that responsibility has sort of been delegated down, but all these levels of government are looking for more housing, housing in general, not just veteran housing. You bet. It's a problem. Um, but now that you've completed these villages, like what's the biggest challenge in scaling this model to have more veteran villages? Because obviously you want to get this done relatively quick. What, what's, the, what's the thing you're missing to go faster? Land, uh, support from municipal and provincial groups. Look, like Ontario is an example. I mean, they, they committed to three villages, so we're working on that. Alberta has been amazing. We're there, we've built, but it's municipalities and it's the provincial levels. They're the ones that take a lot of time to get together. And I understand it. I understand also though, what I sadly have to do is when I'm lobbying, I'm selling the government to say, look, like every time, every person on the street is costing the province and city, it feds $80,000 a year. So we have 20 homes in each village. So we're saving 1.6 every year and we're transitional. So this is moving all the time. It is cheaper for cities and provinces and feds to house at a cost of roughly 40 if they were financially getting involved than it is to have them unhoused at 80. And that 80 is, you know, EMS, it is police, it is courts, it is housing, shelters, it is food banks. Medical, it's, it's all the expenses that surround that, that person it to is. support them, correct? In, in the community. And look, again, yeah. we get an argument a lot, it's quite interesting in regards to, first off, tiny homes, we design tiny homes for a reason. The footprint is such that it's 300 square feet. So the reason being is that the research we did was other groups is that they would recondition apartments or six, 700 square feet. That may seem still small to some, but you imagine you have zero possessions. You come into a place and it's overwhelming. So there's this under, this need to fill the space. What happens? They hoard. When they hoard, you're introducing more issues like drugs and alcohol, which probably in the first case wasn't there in the first place. So tiny homes is interesting because we do it in a village format. Is it the most economical piece? per square foot? Probably not, but it is a solution that is working. We have proven it's effective, it. right? yeah. It's very effective. Yeah. And it can be, you know, quite frankly, I think there's a lot of areas that we could use tiny homes to solve the issue we have right now. Yeah. I, I wanted to just explore the tiny homes concept, or at least 
when you talk about timing, so again, yep. scaling this up, because it's a fairly, it sounds simple when you get a project off the ground, but you need yeah. city, you need the different levels, you need fundraising, zoning, land, you know, design, and then construction to opening. It's how long does this take? Are you taught, is it years or a couple of years? What does it really take to get a village up and running? You know, the construction development is the easiest part. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, like, look, our homes, the tiny homes are built in factories. They're done in two and a half months, max, three maybe. As that's happening, the site's being prepped. I mean, you look at a site one day and it's just barren land and the next day it's got 20 homes on it. I mean, goes that fast. So within a four to six month time frame, we're ready to open. It is working through municipalities and getting zoning approvals, building approvals. I, jeez, wow, some municipalities, I, I don't know how they get anything done. The time it's, it took one of our villages a year to get transfer of paperwork of ownership. I mean, we signed the documents eight months ago and we've been waiting on that. And it just happened recently. I'm not going to flag that who that really is right now, but it shouldn't be the case. We have massive problems with individuals experiencing homelessness and it's getting worse. We're at a crisis. This should be priority number one through every government and they should be fast tracking everything they possibly can, obviously with due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to explore that a bit. I mean, because you said five, 10,000 uh, veterans on the streets at the moment. And I remember seeing one of your, your videos. That's a large number, right? That's a large number. And, and I guess the question is, what is the biggest challenge our veterans face? I mean, you know, we're looking at these large numbers. What's some of the biggest challenges? Yeah, it, it is unfortunate. I think there's, there's a lot of issues. Number one that we're finding with our clients is post-traumatic stress and how to deal with it. And uh, some can deal with it better than others. We find that a lot are, end up on the street because they don't have the tools necessary to cope. And it's our job to work with the clients to find them and get them the tools and get them into programming for that. Uh, the other piece ends up being a lot of the times financial. And what happens is you get these young men and women that join the forces and they five, six years in the service, they think they have this great pension and all these dollars and they get out and realize, well, wait a second, that money isn't lasting that long. And then it's the idea of how they go now and take the skills they've got within the military and transfer that to civilian. And how do you put that on paper and apply to a job? I drove a tank in the military. What does that give me within civilian life? So that, believe it or not, is a very, very difficult piece. That transition for some uh, is very hard to get wrap their head around, um, let alone go out and to meet. And then when, if they are working, they're used to a very regimented day. And you couldn't find, by the way, a better worker. But for the first bit, you're going to have to be working with them and they're going to check in with you every hour and what's next and what would you like me to do? So independence is usually not. It's very much dependent on leadership. So post-traumatic stress is a big deal. That finances another, that transition to employment outside, those would be those top three issues. So they're solvable. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. 
On post-traumatic stress, obviously these are big numbers out there. Do we have the programs available, our programs available to effectively deal with and, and assess and, and support not just veterans, but I guess people with post-traumatic stress disorder? We've got the programs. We don't have enough. You know, I was talking to a vet and he said, you know, when you realize you need help, it's that's when you reach out. When you realize, and it takes a while for someone to reach out, right? Well, you reach out. He gave me an analogy. I've got a gun in one hand and a phone in the other. And I pick up the phone to get through to Veterans Affairs and tell them I need this support. And they're like, absolutely, I can get you in to see someone in nine months. So uh, how frustrating is that? I mean, that, that's where we're losing and seeing our vets take their lives. So we have programs. I got to suggest in most markets, there's programs, but not enough. And there's other, you know, there's other solutions that, you know, Equan therapy is one that I believe is working very well for individuals that I don't see is getting enough government support. Equan therapy is working with horses and that have forming this bond and kinship because the horse feels anxiety. And if you bring anxiety to that relationship, then you're not going to have success with the horse. So it's the matter of being able to control your feelings and emotions, which is a big piece of post-traumatic stress. So we could be doing a better job, that's for sure. Okay. Um, I guess on that, I mean, because obviously you have programs at your village. So can you tell me a little bit about the programs that you do offer on site at the village? So interesting enough, actually, we don't. So this oh, is don't. where I think, so interesting. So we have social workers, right? Our social workers are working with our clients and there is a plan that they work through. So at this stage of the plan, you should be in, you know, first thing that they're helping them do is get financial, financial support. I mean, there's a veteran, that's emergency fund through VAC uh, that is probably is underutilized and probably only 20% of the funds are used because most veterans don't know it exists. A lot of that happens within Veterans Affairs. We help them access those funds. We help them find municipal, provincial, and so forth supports to get them a footing when they first start. It's getting a bank account for some, a bus pass. These simple pieces, our social workers are working with them on building a resume, looking at what retraining maybe there needs to be. So that one-on-one -on -one support is so crucial to the success of our program. And, you know, it is those social workers that are doing the hard work. And, and wow, I'm amazed by what they do every day and their commitment to those that have served. So we certainly appreciate their efforts. And then it's programming. So post-medic stress or counseling or whatever the case is, is off-site. So that means that we're sending an individual client to see someone or a psychologist and maybe it's partner Veterans Affairs is offering it and it's, you know, downtown or three blocks away. But that's why we always build outside of downtown, close proximity to busing because we're dealing with individuals with cars and within a kind of a community setting. So part of your program is talking about like reintegrating veterans after a time. So how successful has that model been? You're sort of, you've been up and running for a couple of years. Yep. So is it, is it, uh, are you able to successfully reintegrate veterans? You bet. So yeah, good point. So Calgary opened two and a bit years ago, maybe three, 
Boarding on three, Calgary two, uh, Edmonton two. So Calgary's our first build, 15 homes. Edmonton is 20, right? So there's 35 homes in the last three years, if you will. Now, understand all villages maybe four are 20 with two social workers. That's what's manageable. So in those time, we've graduated 83 veterans. So that's we've saved 83 veterans' lives, plus we're housing another 35 right now. So if you look at that, we're basically these are veterans that have come into the program, worked on their needs, and then moved into permanent, more permanent solution, housing, full-time employment, or access to funding to go on. To me, that's remarkable. It's great that we've done that. And so again, we can do a better job. Look, we're new. We've made the mistakes, things that we're getting better at. I really believe that, you know, Bradfield is going to help us with a lot of things that maybe we have overlooked or to reconsider some issues. So we'll be better. And there isn't a time period that's put on the the tenants. So they could be there as long as they need to be. But an average stay should be roughly about a year. That's good. Yeah. And you seem to be doing that with the stats, right? That seems to be what you're based on some of those numbers you just said, which is, as I understand, you're just up and running, you know, as you start, you've going to, you're going to refine your model and understand what works. So. Yeah. I mean, originally look like, like I have other companies I have to run that now I actually have some time to actually focus on. So originally the model was the fact that, you know, learn first off, there's a problem. What's the solution? Go do the research, create, develop something based on the solution. The idea was then to partner with other agencies to run it. And uh, what we found was that we were a very unique program and there's no one that had this experience. So uh, we started managing and running. So that means bringing in the right people to do that. Uh, Again, I mean, I have a business that I have a company that creates apps. I produce concerts across uh, Canada, a very marketing focused my my businesses. I have a product company that sells retail. Anyway, it's not social services, that's for sure. Yeah. So it's the matter of surrounding yourself with good people and making sure that they have a commitment to the cause and to what they do. And um, that's to me why we've been successful to this point. I believe we're successful. We're only going to get better. That's great. Now, can you give us an example of, you know, a veteran you've helped, like an example of when they started and what, you know, where they are today? You bet. So I'll give you an example. We had a gentleman that was was in the news a lot. So this is why I use this example. Is we had a gentleman that was in Vancouver. And he was living in his car in a Walmart parking lot. And thank you, by the way, to Walmart to allow these individuals to reside in their parking lot. They're not hurting anyone, by the way. And his car didn't work. So he's sitting in the edge of the parking lot and he's living in it. Year and a half, he's living in that car. We get him to our Edmonton village. Within the first week, we are able to help him secure funding sources. He was actually eligible for a lot of money in regards to back emergency housing, but also pension that he wasn't wasn't taking in. There's there's a lot, by the way, a lot of vets, probably 70% aren't accessing pensions and they're unaware of what they have, they access. VAC system is a bit difficult to navigate. I think our social workers do a great job. So anyway, so we're able to get him some financial supports. In the second week, we have a partnership with companies and this one that we got him in with was the commissioners. 
And so the first, second week, sorry, started training with the commissioners. In four weeks, he was working full-time. In four months, he had moved out. He had a full-time job. He moved into a permanent housing as an apartment, and he now comes back and helps and mentors other clients. So you're like a four-month time frame. If somebody was in their car for a year and a half, it's very difficult to move and transition if you don't know where you're sleeping or you're concerned about that all the time. So the permanent address issue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's and, housing and this, first. Housing first, the concept there is good, in my opinion. But we need to go further. Like if we want to solve the issue, we need to have this wraparound social support. And Housing First states this. The theory is that you get somebody in a home first. Then you come back and ask them if they what supports if they want help. No, it's not if. It's obviously there's a problem that got them to the streets. You know, let's make sure they're in programming. It's got to be key here. You're not going to, all we're going to do is continue to build, build, and build more affordable housing as opposed to trying to fix the problem. And we need to do that. Yeah. No, this is great. No, and thanks so much for your time. I guess, um, you know, you've been at this a few years, yeah. David. And I want to ask, like, what's one of your biggest learnings, right? Since you come from an entrepreneur background, right? And what's one of your biggest learnings you've had since founding the Home for Heroes Foundation? Well, you know, that's a good question. I think the best thing is that I've seen the best in people. And our Canadians, Canadians have shown their love and respect for those that have stand on guard for us. And wow, it's, it's refreshing. It's humbling. When you get people that stand by and back the organization, they look at the idea and they buy into it and they support it. They're not supporting it because of me, by the way. That's why it's so humbling in the fact they're supporting it because of those that served. And that to me has been the big takeaway is that we are not our American neighbors. We do not stand up on the tie top and shoot off fireworks about those that serve as they do. And I'm not suggesting that's not right. We should celebrate those that serve more. We're very calm about it. And so sometimes it's believed that we don't have that feeling compassion and we only show it on Remembrance Day. But I can tell you that my experience throughout working across Canada is that Canadians care deeply and we've got their back. We got your six, as you would say, in the military. And that's been probably the best experience from this is just to see that from Canadians. We're a great country and we should be proud of ourselves. So if listeners want to know more about the Home for Heroes Foundation or would like to donate, what should they do? Yeah. um, Homes for Heroes Foundation website. It's homesforheroes.crh4hf.ca. Get on there. Learn about us. Look, I always suggest people do your due diligence. Our financials are there. Our board's there. I mean, we had some credible support. I mean, we got Colonel Hadfield, who's an honorary chair, our Canada's most famous astronaut, who's just an incredible individual to give us his support. We have incredible board directors. But do your research. Learn about us. It's important. Make sure the dollars are there, and they are. And you can donate. You can learn on the new sign up for the newsletter. You can volunteer. Lots of ways to get involved, but you know, come by and take a look at us. Great. David, I want to say thanks for your time today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And again, I, I appreciate you and what you guys are doing and, and giving us this platform to just give 
uh, Canadians a little inside look on what we're doing. Thanks again. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. NIM helps new software developers, UI UX designers, and product managers gain mentored hands-on industry experience. And at the same time, we provide companies with risk-free tech talent. Definitely a win-win-win situation. Visit newideamachine.com for more information. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.